It's really good to be here. It's, 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 like I said, it's been a kind of a weird, it's been a weird journey. I feel like I've been in like a twilight zone or something for the past few months. And I'm, I'm sure some of you have felt like that before in, in dealing with, you know, personal issues and, and life that things just get kind of turned upside down and you feel like you're in an alternate universe or something. Um, of course, uh, and just to kind of highlight what, what those few months have been, uh, you know, it started, of course, with Debbie getting sick, um, and she really started feeling poorly in the middle of April, and, and you know, things evolved, and, and, uh, and she's, she's doing a little bit better, and she's, you know, making incremental progress, but it's probably going to be a couple more months before she's kind of back, um, hopefully getting more to normal. Um, of course, then we had, you know, in the midst of that, getting ready for our Mexico mission trip, and, um, and that kind of went weird for for me personally uh, because I got COVID on on the trip a few of us did and quite a few more got got it afterwards but it's um, so you're getting near the end of the trip and you're getting near the like the finale it's kind of like building up towards a movie you know the, the the climax of the movie so to speak and then you know you get COVID and you're in bed for the end of it and it's kind of like you just like what's what's you're just kind of left or you watch a movie and it's got, has a weird ending or something and it doesn't like resolve anything and you just kind of go, ugh. So, so there, that was that. And then I come back, I can't go home because Debbie's sick. So um, thankfully, uh, Don and Susie Roberts let me stay in their fifth will and that was, a, that was, that was good. I was there for almost a week uh, before I, I went home. And then of course I was out for a couple Sundays and then I got to go to Santa Barbara for my parents' 70th wedding anniversary celebration, and that was that was that was really cool. That was just really cool, and um, it was a nice celebration they had it uh, at uh, at the church building there. And um, I saw relatives I haven't seen in like 50 years. I mean, literally 50 years. Uh, cousins or second cousins or third, you know, you know, once twice removed. I don't know how that all that works, but. It was really cool to see these relatives that I hadn't seen since I was a child. And uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and, and then we, yeah, I, I get back and I, I work for a few days. And then I have to take another week off because um, our son Stephen and his wife Riley had made these plans to come down to, from Washington State down to here. And uh, they had made plans with friends to go out for a kind of a week of fun and and leave their eight and a half month old son with us, and uh, it's like, well, I I I, I kind of I can't leave that to Debbie because she can't physically take care of this child, so I take the week off. And anyhow, yeah, through all this, uh, they draw, they came last Saturday night, a week ago Saturday, and then they, Sunday morning they left at ten thirty and left this baby with us. It's like we don't know this child. This child doesn't know us, but. Um, we, um, we enjoyed it. In fact, I, I have a picture here, uh, Jed, if you'll bring up. Yeah. So that, there's the highlight of today's message. <laughs> it's like, that's all. I just, okay, I'll sit down now. Um, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. You can go on to the next blank slide. Uh, uh, it was, it was, it's fun, you, you, you think about um, the 
first time and the only time that we saw Bennett was when he was about a month old. And so seven, month later, seven months later, he doesn't really know us from anybody. And so it was, it was really a, a pleasure and a joy and just a lot of fun to get to, get to know him and, and spend that time with him. But it is pretty tiring. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, and I commented to somebody, that's why you, when you're, you have kids when you're young, because, you know, you get old and it's hard. It's hard when you can't sleep at night and when you're, you know, in your middle 60s, anyhow. Um, so, driving to and from Santa Barbara for my parents' um, anniversary celebration gave me, um, Debbie wasn't able to go just because she wasn't feeling well enough to go, so um, I drove down by myself, and so when you're by yourself driving for hours and hours, you know, it gives you time to think, and, and so I had, um, had time to, to uh, reflect a lot about the, the Roman series that Bryce has preached on for, you know, the last several months, and uh, just, you know, thinking about just the impact of that study in the book of Romans and what, you know, being, learning new things, being reminded of things, being encouraged, just, you know, being, um, just the power of that, of that, uh, that lesson series. I had a lot of time to think about that. And then on my drive back from Santa Barbara, I had time to reflect on the Sunday morning message at the Turnpike Road Church of Christ in Santa Barbara from their minister, Paul, and he did a lesson and I had time to kind of reflect on that lesson and, and it kind of came together in, in kind of this mishmash and, and hopefully it will make sense this morning <laughs> to you and it will be, um, it will be a, a good message. Um, so uh, acknowledgement uh, for the material this morning to, to Bryce and to Paul from Santa Barbara for um, kind of the, the inspiration and some of the material for this, for this lesson today. So let's, let's just pause and pray for a moment here. Um, Father God, first of all, I am just so very grateful for your grace and mercy, uh, for your forgiveness, uh, for your presence and power in my life. And um, I'm thankful for your word that has such power to to convict us and, and to teach us and to guide us and to, and to uh, illuminate the, the ways that we need to, to grow and change and be transformed. Um, and, and God, thank you for the power that you provide to do that, that it is not left to our own selves, our own willpower. God, thank you. And, and may your word uh, this morning uh, speak truth and power uh, to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so first of all, just a, a few reflections on, on um, the, the Roman series and just some of the things, just the personal things that I reflected on uh, over the past couple weeks. Uh, and, and hopefully you'll have, you know, maybe this will spur some of your own thoughts and, and reflections uh, on, on what we, what we um, went through in the, in the book of Romans. So uh, a few things I made a note of. Um, I am, like all other human beings, a sinner in need of God's mercy and forgiveness. I am unable to measure up to God's standards. And as 
you know, Paul, you know, spent a lot of time talking about the Jews and they're, they're the chosen people of God. And even these people, the chosen people of God, given the law, they were, they were not able to, to measure up. And I think of myself, you know, uh, raised in a Christian family, you know, raised in the church, given all the Bible lessons and, and all the training attending a Christian college, uh, you know, knowing all the right and wrong things to do. Um, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, in light of what we learned in the book of, of Romans, that your, your, your pedigree, your, you know, whatever, it, it just, it doesn't really matter because we can't measure up. And, but the good news, the good news is that God extends his grace to me and to all others through the sacrifice of Jesus. And all that is required to receive this grace is faith in Jesus Christ, his son. That's good news. That's really, really good news. And any and all attempts to succeed by my own efforts are futile. My sinful nature is in opposition to God's nature. I am in desperate need of his presence, his Holy Spirit, in order to follow Jesus and be transformed into something different. In the letter to the Romans, as, and as Bryce reiterated, Paul painstakingly establishes his arguments about these points and more, and a lot more. And when we get to chapter 12, I have a few excerpts here from 12 and 13, but as we get to chapter 12, um, it's, it's as if Paul says, okay, now that you get it, now that you understand um, about how much God loves you and how much you need his, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, um, and you understand this overwhelming gift that you have been given, this then is how you should live. This then is, is our response um, to this grace that we have been uh, given to us. And um, so our first scripture is, these are familiar because um, Bryce uh, spoke on these quite extensively and I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna do that at all. I just want to kind of walk through what how I, how I went through this in my mind. For the first one is Romans 12, 1 through 2. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of, the, of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, kind of the, the way I process is my, this whole idea of a living sacrifice, and, 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 and Bryce talked about this, but, and I thought about, well, okay, so is he, he contrasting that with like an animal sacrifice where you kill the animal, you put the animal on the altar, and the, you burn it up, you know, you, it gets consumed. Um, and I thought, well, what does that mean? How, how do I you know, frame that in terms of a living sacrifice? And, and kind of in my mind where I went was that I offer my life to God and instead of being consumed by fire, I am consumed by his presence, his Holy Spirit, his, 
His presence comes and, and takes away all the, all the bad stuff and leaves what is good. And that's kind of how I, I picture in my mind that transformation that needs to take place. Something has to change, and that change comes from his holy presence uh, in my life and not something that I can do or achieve on my own. And so then in the next couple of scriptures that, we, that I have here, uh, Romans 12, 9 to 21, Paul kind of illustrates what this, this spirit-filled life looks like versus our, our sinful nature. And so the next scripture, uh, Romans 12, 9 to 21, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Okay, that's, that's good. Now it gets tough. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then the next text, uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, so... Here's where I make my clumsy transition uh, from these Roman texts to, to my focus text this morning. And, and, and again, just kind of, you can kind of stumble along with me uh, as, we, as I make this transition and, and look at um, the, the next text. We heard these, these words, love must be sincere. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. What is required of me? What, what do I need to put love into action in the way that Paul suggests in these texts? To bless those who persecute me, to not repay evil for evil, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, to not take revenge, to feed and offer drink to my enemy. How do I, how do I get there? How do, I, how do I treat and look at others uh, to love them in this way? And what I would suggest is to act this way requires me to forgive. I must forgive. 
I must forgive those who offend me, even if they're not sorry for it. I must forgive those who persecute me, even if they continue to persecute me. I must offer food and drink to my enemy, even while my enemy remains my enemy. And how do I do that? I must forgive. I must act as though, and think about this, I must act as though, as though those offenses did not occur as if they didn't exist. And that I can look at that person and love them the way that I have been loved of God. That's a huge, huge, huge challenge. And I, I, I thought about, you know, we have our, our current culture is a culture, you know, tolerance and acceptance and just, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's good, you know. But everybody's cool, you know. Whatever you want to do, you do. But think about, do we live in a culture of forgiveness? Not at all. Not at all. And I don't know if any generation there, ever, there has ever been that has had this, um, an attitude of forgiveness. Let's, first of all, let's just forgive people, okay? That, that, that doesn't seem to exist. In fact, I don't think it is in our sinful nature to seek to forgive people. I, I, think, it's, I think it is unnatural. You could even argue that it is unnatural to forgive someone. It is, it is not within our nature to forgive someone who offends us. In fact, you can even think about, you know, God actually enacted laws that, you know, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth are, are part of God's justice system. If, if you injured somebody in this way, the, the payment is that you have to have an equal, an equal punishment. Uh, and, and so that, that's kind of even worked into to, to God's laws. Uh, and you could say, well, it's just part of the natural law. You, you know, you, you get what you deserve. You know, if you hurt somebody, you deserve to get hurt in return. And so... Um, To forgive takes um, supernatural power, I would say. To, act, to, to, to truly forgive and to be able to, to wipe the slate clean of someone who has injured or hurt us. Um, so here's the story um, that I want us to look at. Um, and it's in Luke 5, uh, 17 to 26. So it is uh, a story that I sure, and I look around this room, I'm thinking everybody's heard this, this story plenty of times. Um, but let's just read the story, and then we'll, then we'll come back and, and break it down a little bit. So from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. One day, Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take, a, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Amen. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, I would like us to look afresh at this story and perhaps examine it through a slightly different lens. If you attended Sunday school as a child, this was a common and favorite Bible story. Uh, it came with lots of visual aids. Uh, perhaps you remember a flannel graph or flannel thing with little sticky things and the teacher would carefully put the pieces of the story on the flannel graph and the man um, getting lowered down. Um, or, or perhaps there, there was a type of diorama where there were like, like actual 3D pieces and you did things and you, you know, ripped a hole in the roof. And anyhow. Um, or, or perhaps if you're young enough in, in children's Bible hour, you acted out the story uh, per chance. Um, So it's a, it's a familiar story with, it and, uh, with us, and we read through it, and we go, yeah, that, that's nice. It's uh, a good story. But let's, let's just kind of, let's, let's take another look at it, and, and let's see um, if there's some more we can learn. So just some, some really quick background about, the, about this particular story. It takes place very early in Jesus' ministry. Um, it's, short, it's shortly after he has beckoned some of his disciples to follow him, but he hasn't assembled all 12 yet. So it's very early in his ministry. The story takes place in Capernaum, uh, which is in the northern region of the Sea of Galilee. So up, up north um, from, from Jerusalem and Judea in Galilee. Um, and even though it is early in his ministry, Jesus is attracting great attention. Luke's account informs us that Pharisees and teachers of the law come from all over the region and even as far away as Judea and Jerusalem. Now, to put this into context, Jerusalem is about 80 miles south of Capernaum, about the same distance from, say, Santa Rosa to Willits, or Santa Rosa to Redwood City, if you go south. Now, you think about it, if you hear that Jesus is teaching, this fellow Jesus is teaching up north, 80 miles away, you want to go see what this is all about, it's, it, it's going to take some time and, and preparation to go there, right? It's not just like, hey, let's get in the car and drive up to Capernaum. Um, you walk, right? Or you might have a, some type of rickety cart that's pulled by an oxen, but even then you're not going very fast, right? And so it's going to take some time and preparation and getting stuff together to go see this fellow Jesus and see what he's all about. And so we have Pharisees and teachers of the law who are, um, uh, you know, getting 
assembling themselves and they're going up to see what this, this Jesus is all about. Uh, and so that's the context. So here, 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 as we read the story, we go through, uh, go back to the beginning uh, there, if you will, Jed, the first part of that. If, can you back up? I know it's out, uh, not, not that far back up. Back to, back to the Luke, uh, the beginning of Luke 5. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, so Jesus is teaching. We know that. He's teaching. All right? In the crowd, there's a number of Pharisees and teachers of the law, as we've talked about. And what else does the scripture say? The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So he's been, there's already, a, a surrounding this story, there's a, cu- a couple of other, other healing stories. Um, we know that the crowd was quite large because the men carrying the paralytic couldn't get into the house. So think of, and it's probably a pretty large house. I'm thinking it's a pretty large house uh, to have a large crowd there. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, like John Machado's house, where there's often large crowds. And you're thinking, you know, there's a couple hundred people there, and they're all crammed in, you know, and, and you've got this fellow Jesus, and, and there's people trying to get inside, and they can't get inside because of this huge crowd. They want, to, they want to get this man to see Jesus. And so these men do what any normal people would do, and they climb onto the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they, they lower this man down, and they plop him down right in front of Jesus. And then Jesus responds as we would expect, stops his teaching, looks at this paralyzed man, looks at his friends on the roof and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, is that what you expected? Is that what you think these people expected? Your sins are forgiven. Now, here's... Here's, here's, what, here's, where I, here's where my mind went as I, as I read through this story again and again, and I read through Matthew's uh, version and Mark's version and again Luke's version, is that this man is paralyzed. His friends bring him to see Jesus. Jesus has the power to heal the sick. And so our assumption, and my assumption is, they're bringing this man to get healed. But the story doesn't really say that. They're just saying they're bringing this man to see Jesus. So just think about that for a little bit. I'm sure it's logical to assume that they want this man healed. But Jesus' response is interesting here. Um, Thank you, you're in the exact right verse. Um, When Jesus saw their faith, it's collective, I would assume he's talking about the friends and this man. He looks at this man and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And just let that sink in for a moment. What was most important to Jesus? Was it this, this man was paralyzed and couldn't walk? Not at all. What was most important to Jesus was the spiritual condition of this man in front of him. Now, I'm also pretty certain that Jesus saw this as a great opportunity, and he had this, you know, the wheels were, were turning, 
he, he knew what was going to happen when he said this. But still, when you think about it, and you think about all the healing stories of Jesus, all the, where he's physically healing people um, from disease, from leprosy, from, uh, from being paralyzed, from being blind. I can almost picture him before he does the healing, maybe not verbalizing, but saying, your sins are forgiven. And now that you're spiritually whole, I'm going to make you physically whole as well. Just think about that. The most important thing to Jesus was this man's spiritual condition. Now, he knows. Okay, before I go to the next. Okay, the other thing was, he says, when Jesus saw their faith, what do we learn from Romans? What is required to, for salvation is to have faith in Jesus. That's what's required. And so, so Jesus sees their faith. And, and what, I'm not sure what he observes. I don't, I don't know if it's the physical act of lowering this man through the roof, cutting a hole and then destroying the roof. I don't know if the roof wasn't really destroyed, but, but you know, a portion of it was torn apart to get this man down. You know, a mat is probably six feet long and a few feet wide, so it's got to be a little, you know, it's got to be a good-sized hole. I don't know if it's that physical act or if he, 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 as he looks into the Pharisees' heart and teachers of the law heart, he looks into their heart and he sees something in this man. This man, perhaps, this man, he sees this man simply wants to be in the presence of Jesus. And maybe... Being healed isn't his biggest concern. We don't know that. Maybe he just, he wants to hear Jesus teach. Maybe he just wants to hear Jesus teach. He wants to hear the master teach. And he's accepted his paralytic condition. That's a possibility in this story, that he simply wants to be in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus, it's a possibility Then Jesus recognizes this faith of this man who simply wants to be in his presence. And he says, your sins are forgiven. You have faith in me, your sins are forgiven. And then as he observes the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, kind of, what is, what is this guy? What's, what, is going, what is going on with this guy? Who does he think he is? And so he says, all right, I can see you guys are troubled by me saying your sins are forgiven, but what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to this paralyzed man, get up and walk, you're healed. And so, just so you know that I can do both. <laughs> get up and walk, and this man walks, and everybody is amazed. Now, I want to come back to, oh good, okay, I'm just a couple more minutes here. Um, I want to come back to that phrase, what is easier? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk to this paralyzed man. Now, our carnal thinking says, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But the irony of it is that's the hard part as we receive grace because what had to happen for our sins to be forgiven? Jesus had to die had to be crucified, tortured. That's actually 
ironically, the hard part. That God loved us so much that he went through that so that our sins could be forgiven. And if you think about the distance traveled by God to do that for us, it's, it's, it's eternity. But I mean, just as a visual aid, think about it's like going from the East Coast to the West Coast. That's a lot. Of, and what is he asking us to do? What is he asking us to do to live like that and to treat others and forgive others that? What's he asking? How far is he asking us to travel to do that? Maybe one step. One step from me to you to say, I forgive you. It seems huge to us, but in reality, God has given us the power to do that, to take that step of faith and say, you are forgiven. Because the most important thing to me is your spiritual well-being. And if that is what it takes to get you to see the love of God, I'm willing to do that. I forgive you. You're my enemy. Here's some food. You hate me. I love you in return. You say bad things about me. I will say nothing evil against you at all. I will speak only grace and mercy and truth to you. It seems like a big challenge and hard to get there, but in reality, God has already paved the way for us to do that.